Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Andy. And before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about RebateJet.com. What is RebateJet? Well, it's a piece of software that I created that will help Amazon sellers get their products noticed. You can launch with promo codes, rebates. Not only that, but you can list your product for free on the RebateJet third-party marketplace. You don't pay a single penny unless you make a sale. And when you do, it's only a $1 flat fee per product. Try it today, RebateJet.com. Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with Amy Wees. And this is Seller Now Roundtable number Roundtable number 125. We have Chelsea Cohen here today. Chelsea, thank you so much for being with us. Yes, thanks for having me. I usually I can nail that, but today it's uh, marbles in the mouth day. No problem. Facebook was down yesterday, so you have uh... Uh, the withdrawal. No, I was hoping, it, like I posted when it came back up, I was hoping it would just never come back. I think our society and world would be better off, honestly, at this point. But uh, yeah, I it know. came back, unfortunately. So here we are. Yeah, it's, it's a love hate thing because I totally you know, we advertise on it, and I was like, it really got you to start thinking about how many people you are not connected to unless you're connected through Facebook, Instagram, or WhatsApp. Right. So yeah. Like, it's first LinkedIn. I'm like, LinkedIn, I need to like bulk up my LinkedIn because that's the only safeguard against losing all your contacts. I yeah. Guess. LinkedIn works with like I've, I've been doing since, you know, Facebook banned me for like the third time a couple of years ago. Um, I've been doing a lot of LinkedIn stuff. So yeah, I have a giant Amazon seller group there. I have a ton of connections there. And some of the best leads for my software business for clients, things like that have all come from LinkedIn. So uh, especially if you're in the, you know, B2B space, you can't really beat LinkedIn. Um, Also, I just feel like the conversations there, you know, it's like, (laughs) even though I'm guilty of it as well, like I just get tired of seeing all the politics and all the BS that comes along with Facebook. So um, yeah, so I I really enjoy LinkedIn and I, I agree. I think it's a good lesson in terms of owning the audience, right? We talk about that a lot. I think that's a a stark reminder of how, if you don't own your audience, they, you know, if Facebook decides they don't like you all of a sudden, they can just shut you off. So kind of scary, but enough about that. Chelsea, tell us about you, kind of your journey up to this point. You know, if you want to go back to where you were born, where you raised school, kind of anything like that, we'd love to, (laughs) to, to get to know you uh, better. Sure. It's funny because I always start with my Amazon selling story. Um, but uh, I'll probably <laughs> I'll probably start with one of the more interesting stories that actually happened when I was eight. My mom told me this happened, um, and it sounds like me. I don't have kids yet. I, we are gonna we are planning on having kids in the next year or so. But when I was eight years old, I was talking to my mom, and she was telling me something. She said, "You know, well, when you have kids, you know," and I was like, "What?" She's like, "Well, when you have kids," and she was telling me something. And I was like. I'm not going to have kids. She's like, really? Why not? I'm like, who will take care of them? I'm going to be working. And so like, that was like from the beginning, like since I was eight years old, I knew that I wanted to, to work and to do things. And like, she had her own business. She, she had um, a daycare and then it, she started homeschooling myself and, and my brother. And then that turned into a school and uh, my dad had his own business for a while. And so it was always, you know, entrepreneurial. I was always seeing that people were building businesses. And so 
you know, that was kind of the, the start of things. I've done a bunch of random things, but they've all been either my own business, trying to do my own business or making money to pay off the debt from my business so that I could go back to creating my own business. So that's kind of how I started with Amazon was in 2014 after one of these stints as working at a, an accounting firm um, in finance. So that's kind of the start. Oh, so, so that was the start. And then, so you, you discovered Amazon and like, was it, uh, was it like you got an Amazon and you were just killing it? Was there like, you know, a, a, a steep learning curve and kind of what was that journey like? Yeah. So, I mean, 2014, it was definitely a lot easier, you know, if you did something different then you could do well. So I signed up for a course that a lot of people took back then called the amazing selling machine. And I actually, we had missed the cutoff because they do these, you know, uh, twice a year, you know, um, promotions. We missed the cutoff and we actually, we tried to do, so we'll we'll just find another course. And we started to do RA um, and that went horribly. We had, you know, they had some app and it was scanned wrong. So my, so Ari, my husband was buying things and bringing them back. And I'm like, these are not profitable. And it was just, I was like, this can't be what they're all doing. I had a friend making 60,000 a month who has done this other course. I'm like, they can't be going to big lots and buying, you know, random products. And, and this can't be how you make $60,000 a month. So I ended up, um, someone wanted to refund their course and they ended up selling it to me. So I paid some random person $3,000 for this course. I'd never seen a promotion about the course at all. And it wasn't until I actually got access to the course that I was pitched on private label. And I was like, this is brilliant. And I got so excited. And so from the point we started the course to the point we sold our first product from China, it actually was only seven weeks. So that was like how uh, ambitious I was because I thought we were behind everybody. Uh, and then we started selling the first products, sold fantastically. And we uh, launched our second product after that. And about eight months into the business, we were able to quit our jobs. Love it. I love it. So um, on that same note, kind of what was, you know, what was the uh, biggest struggle in terms of, you know, getting into the business. Like, you know, some people, no matter what their background, right? Like for me, I was kind of like a tech guy. I had um, background in like my aviation and all that kind of stuff. But like, and I was an entrepreneur almost my whole life, but I didn't really know about like systems, processes, kind of some of the things that when you own your own business, especially one like an Amazon business where there's so many moving parts and things that you need to know, things you need to do, you know, uh, customer service that needs to be replied to at a certain point, kind of what, uh, you know, what were your weaknesses once you started going into the business and how did you improve on those? Yeah. So I think delegation has always been my, my weak, weakest point. Um, you know, feeling like, Oh, well, I can just do it myself and, you know, I'll get it done faster if I do it myself. But it's like, yeah, maybe that one time you get it done faster, but when you compound all the times you do it yourself, you're actually wasting a lot of time. So that's always been kind of a, a hangup of mine. And so I'm constantly working on improving systems and then also just being able to kind of let go and let somebody screw something up. Yeah, I love that. All right, so let's get into the meat and potatoes. Why you're here, the, the, the ninja skills that you bring to the table are inventory management, 
um, you know, kind of helping people navigate that as it's getting worse by the year with Amazon, you know, either having inventory limits, um, you know, losing stuff. I, I just heard from somebody, I think it was uh, our last guest who said that they like Amazon lost their, their entire LTL shipment for like two months. You know, there's all these struggles when it comes to inventory on, on Amazon. I remember when I first started, like I didn't even really grasp the concept of FBA or even how that worked. So kind of, uh, how did you get into inventory and, you know, kind of how, how do you navigate it effectively? Yeah. Yeah. So I originally, it was to solve my own problem. You know, um, I had the experience of having, uh, our entire Christmas shipment lost until after Christmas lost. I'll say lost because it's not really lost. It's dumped. It's sitting in a parking lot somewhere and it's not being unloaded. And we'll get into more about that and how to prevent that from happening. But that was why I got into inventory management. The margins on my business were, you know, were shrinking and there were certain things that I couldn't control. Amazon fees, you know, uh, people coming in, dropping their prices, black hat tactics from competitors, all those things I couldn't really control. But what I could control was the lost revenue or the lost profit from either overstocking or stocking out. And so I really figured out that I had to get a handle on how can I make sure that my inventory arrives on time? How can I make sure that my orders are correct and I'm not ordering way too much and taking out a loan, paying interest on that loan, and then paying all those storage fees after the product doesn't sell like you think it's going to sell. And so that was um, in 2018 when I started putting together uh, a really detailed spreadsheet and found that it takes a heck of a long time. Definitely. Yeah. I think that just inventory management in general is something that all of us struggle with because if you don't manage your inventory, you run out of stock or you lose money and there's so much in there. And and it's like, we're always trying to figure it out, right? We're always trying to create a new spreadsheet. I know yesterday I was, um, you know, talking with my husband about our business processes and I'm like, okay, how many new spreadsheets have we created (laughs) in the last, you know, six months um, and people don't tend to keep them up either because you always need a new metric, right? Yeah. Like, okay, well, no, I want to look at it from this, this side of things. And it's, it's not easy and there's no perfect solution, right? Um, you, you mentioned even with SoStock that you're constantly making improvements to your tools and, 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 you know, it's, it's, there's no perfect solution, but it's an important solution. So I can definitely identify with that. So what do you think in terms of, struggles that Amazon sellers face with inventory management, what are those major struggles that you hear from people? What are they dealing with when it comes to inventory management? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, it has evolved a bit. When we first started, um, there's something that we, that we recognized was happening uh, with sellers because the first year and a half of SoStock, I personally onboarded every single person who came into the software. So I talked with hundreds of sellers and that was one of the ways and has been one of the ways that we get a lot of our insights into where we need to head, what we need to do, you know, features and things like that. But one of the common things, there were two common things that that sellers just generally weren't doing. One was they were not planning with a buffer stock in mind. They didn't have any safety net. They just, you know, they, they didn't have that as part of their system. Um, so they were running out of stock or they had to air freight things. 
And uh, those were, were big problems, first of all. And so in onboarding people, they would be shocked at their first order, but it's like, yeah, you need to, you need to create that first order. It's always gonna be larger to get yourself caught up to implementing a buffer stock. So finding the ability to do that, whether you know it's adjusting your cash flow, your terms, your payment terms, whatever it is, finding a way to hold additional inventory just in case. That was kind of the first side of things. And then the second thing that we noticed people were not doing was um, planning their marketing against their inventory. So that was a big problem. Even eight-figure sellers that we talked about would stop themselves out because on a whim, they wanted, you know, oh, it's Mother's Day. We should do a Mother's Day campaign. Let's do a 20% off coupon, push it to our list, and sell a ton of this product for Mother's Day. And then Father's Day is the next month coming coming up. You know, Father's Day, they're stocking out. And the cost involved in not just stocking out and then having to air freight and having to re-rank your product, but the 20% off that you basically gave your product away when you could have sold it full price and stayed in stock. You know, if you're paying an agency, that's a cost too. So all of these costs kind of start adding up. And so that was something that we started really pushing as a concept was inventory-minded marketing. You know, making sure that your marketing is in sync with your inventory. Got it. So the first thing that you mentioned was having a buffer stock. So making sure you have enough stock to have a buffer in between orders. And then the second thing was planning your marketing around your inventory so that you're not just, again, causing yourself to stock out and really be stressed out at the same time. Something that you taught me that I didn't know, um, I know it's impossible to teach me things that I don't know, but anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, something you taught me that I didn't know about restock limits, which is what all of us are dealing with, whether you're an eight-figure seller <laughs> or a five-figure seller, you are dealing with restock limits. And something that you taught me was that stockouts and how much my inventory stays in stock has to do with um, my restock limits. If I'm out of stock, I don't actually can't send more in as much in as I could before. And so that was an even bigger reason to stay in stock. And it made all the sense to me once you showed me how uh, restock limits are calculated. So speaking of that, how do you recommend sellers deal with restock limits or look at restock limits? Yeah, so it's important to understand what, you know, what contributes to restock limits. Um, what is Amazon using to predict that? And we know, you know, there are certain things that Amazon has inside of that algorithm that we, we can't know. And then we also know that no matter what Amazon's normal you know, formula for calculating restock limits is every now and then they can put pull, you know, the lever and say, guess what? All of you guys, you, you know, we're lowering restock limits because we don't have, you know, things are going chaotic and crazy in the warehouse. They're going to pull a lever. Um, that's something that we have learned uh, in the past, the hard way. So it gives you a very unsettling feeling about your inventory and about your business. But in terms of restock limits, um, the, the metric that is most important is sell-through. And sell-through is made up of two different things. Uh, the way that Amazon looks at sell-through is they look at your 90-day sales. And then they also look at 
the average inventory that you are holding within um, that period of time. So it's your utilization, right? What are you holding at FBA? And then also what are you selling? And so uh, that makes up your sell through. We see in the IPI limit, one of the metrics when we're looking at our IPI score is sell through. And so that, if you, if you know that it's 90 days uh, of sales, you know that if you increase your 90 day sales, your total sales, you're going to increase your sell through, which should help to increase your restock limits. But if you also lower your um, utilization, right, moving excess inventory, that that has an effect on sell through as well. Right. So those are two things to not to over overstock inventory that's not actually moving through the system. Um, and so sell through is the number one metric. If you have, you know, looking at all of the metrics, restock limits, IPI, all of that, it all comes back to sell through. And that's what Amazon really cares about. Got it. So if we can master our sell through, then we can master um, our restock limits. Um, yes. And as far as those, those units that are not moving, I'm guessing you're going to recommend that we maybe pull some of that stock out and manage it through a third-party logistics provider. But the tough thing is right now, it's really hard for people to find reliable third-party logistics providers. So do you have any advice for how people can pull out their stock or not send that stock in that isn't moving as much? And how can they find uh, a reliable 3PL? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so not all 3PLs actually do outside fulfillment. So you're looking for, when you're looking for ways to fulfill that inventory outside of Amazon, you're looking for someone who is a fulfillment center and someone that, that you can actually trust will be solely focused on fulfillment or will have a separate dedicated team for fulfillment. Because one of the things that we've seen happen uh, last year is there were companies that decided, okay, we're going to do fulfillment, but we're also going to do replenishment, which means sending boxes, sending your pallets of inventory into Amazon. And when uh, these companies, when they went into fourth quarter, they were not planned, they had not planned well enough to actually fulfill both sides. And so uh, the replenishment orders tended to just sit there while all of the fulfillment orders took place. So you need to make sure that if you're the company that you're working with does both, that they'll be able to handle both sides of your business, first of all. And, and second of all, um, that they're actually, they're actually recommended by someone that you trust. Because there's a lot of these companies that, that are popping up. We have a list that we, uh, that we give to people of basically community sourced or community vetted uh, contacts for that particular service. Got it. Cool. So I know you have a ton of really great resources on the SoStock website about all of that. So, uh, that's a great place for people to visit. Um, now in terms of reordering from suppliers, so you mentioned that people need to have a buffer stock. What do you recommend for how often people should order, how should they manage their orders from suppliers as far as how much they should order at once? And then how should they get themselves on a schedule in order to have that buffer stock? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, the first thing would be, you know, to figure out what your buffer stock needs to be 
Um, and a good rule of thumb for Amazon, it gets difficult depending on what your restock limits are, but a good rule of thumb is to keep it at at least 30 days worth of inventory. Some people are going up to 45 days if they can afford it just because of how long it's been taking uh, to check things in. And, um, and we are switched, we switched to something called an as needed uh, or a min max restocking. So instead of, you know, a, a lot of the time people like to go, okay, I only want to send inventory in every month or I only want to send it in every two months. That, that, that is, has been shortening and shortening. But it, you have to be more flexible because of how tight some of these restock limits are. Uh, we do what we have settings called min-max restocking, where we say, you know, if it, we want inventory to be sent in when it gets to this, you know, this low amount, we want to stock it up to this high amount and kind of have a minimum and a maximum um, that helps us to, instead of like a schedule, uh, a transfer schedule in days, it's a transfer schedule based on uh, the inventory, the minimum and the maximum inventory settings, if that makes sense. Got it. Yes, that does make sense. And then um, one more question about just staying in stock. How do you recommend that sellers stay in stock? Uh -huh. Yeah, so so staying in stock has a lot to do with logistics, and I think that um, it's becoming more and more clear how much you really need to understand logistics and how you need to plan for any scenario. So having a plan B and having a plan C is extremely important for staying in stock. The uh, Andy gave an example, I think, of someone who their shipment got lost for two months. So that would not have, that would be a problem. It'd always be a problem, but it wouldn't be as much of a problem if you had backup solutions. For example, sending all of your inventory in LTL, um, I call it, uh, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket or letting someone have all your stuff, right? You never want to let someone have all your stuff. If Amazon has all your stuff and it's on one trailer and they decide to park that trailer and not unload it for two months and tell you it's lost, then that's going to destroy your business, right? The repercussions of your restock limits crashing after that and trying to work your way back up into a range where you can consistently have inventory be fulfilled by Amazon becomes very difficult. So holding something back so that you can send it small parcel delivery if needed uh, is important. It is expensive, but it's not necessarily more expensive than stocking out. So send most of your stuff, you know, LTL, and have some reserved to send small parcel delivery if you need it. Same thing with putting everything on a boat, but most stuff on a boat and then have inventory sitting at your supplier's warehouse to air freight over if needed. So those are some of the, the main um, logistics uh, kind of tweaks that you need to make that and having an, an outside fulfillment center uh, if needed as well. Awesome. So the, the other thing as far as sending in new stock. So if, if I've got some stock in a 3PL or my own warehouse and I've got, um, you know, some in stock at Amazon, how often should I be sending in new stock to Amazon? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it depends on what your restock limits are, but you'll want to have a, a sell-through rate that 
probably is between uh, in Amazon, inside Amazon two and three. So um, Amazon looks at 90 days. So three would be that you're monthly, you're turning over your inventory monthly, right? Um, so you want to make sure that you can turn over your inventory monthly or say every two months. That would be the frequency. Uh, and it depends on, you know, it depends on the product, how, you know, how much inventory you send in, of course, but that would be, that would be a good target. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.